Lord, oh, the, the wonderful gospel message that Jesus loves you, that Jesus died for you. He wants to save you and forgive you. And Lord, we don't want to back away from that. And I know that you desire to bring people into the harvest. You said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So you, you would have us to do something like this here in this community that you would put it on our hearts and then enable us to do it. And, and to, to come together as one. And, and, and maybe not just us here, but the, the Christians in this community to really be a light and to share the love and provision of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, just guide us and prompt us if you would have us to do that. And, Lord, I pray this summer that it would be a time of, of just continuing on with you and the things that, that you desire for us to do in, in reaching others. And, and, Lord, we look forward to Vacation Bible School, to reaching the children of this community as we reach them through the radio and through flyers, that they would come and learn the wonderful lessons that, that you created them. Even as we read in Isaiah last week, that in that day it was a mentality much like we see today as you know, clay saying to the potter, you didn't really make me, or why did you make me this way? Oh, Lord, you created us. And Lord, you love us. And you died for us, and you have a plan for us. And may that truth be expressed to those kids because they're being told something different by the world, completely different. And so I pray that we would reach them and their families and their parents and their grandparents. and Lord, to, to reach this community for you. So Lord, we all have a mission field that we would be light and truth to others as we leave this place and go into our homes and workplaces and in our neighborhoods, in our schools. And Lord, to be a proclaimer of truth. Bless this night as we study your word, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. It's exciting times to be here it's it's perilous times as we are living in and um, just as it was in isaiah's day you know isaiah was ministering during a time that the nation as a whole was really walking in disobedience and worshiping idols and um, it was a difficult time but yet isaiah he had such a heart for the people and he was also known along with jeremiah as the weeping prophet and he would weep about these judgments that he would proclaim that would come upon the house of Israel and also the house of Judah. And Isaiah had a love for the people, and, and he was faithful to give the message of God, even though it was very, very difficult. And I think that we can learn just from that, because Isaiah, uh, as he would speak these, these words of, of that sometimes seemed to be very harsh, and, and, uh, but it was real. And the reason that he spoke is because God loved them. He wanted them to know that if you continue in your sin and idol worship, that there's going to be great consequences and judgment is going to come. So turn back to him. And Isaiah had such a heart for the people, and that's what I pray, is that we would have a heart for our community and the people around us, that, that we know that we are rushing towards the return of the Lord. 
And we can see the things around us in, in very similar attitudes. Even as last week, you recall that it was in chapter 29 that uh, surely you have things turned around, Lord. Shall the potter be esteemed as the clay? For shall the thing made say of him who made it, he did not make me? Or shall the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding? And that's really a prevalent attitude that we see in people and our young people even today. God didn't make me. Or if he did make me, he made a mistake. And so we want to make sure that we give the truth of God's words to others. And also as Christians that we are turning to him to trust in him. And that's what's so wonderful as we finish chapter 30 here. That you recall if you were with us last week that the chapter opened up with here the Lord. Uh, he's rebuking the children of Israel. The Assyrians were marching to the south and they had taken the ten northern tribes of Israel away first and, and then they would eventually come to the house of Judah to where they were taking cities away captives and all they really had left was Jerusalem and we're going to see that God delivers uh, Jerusalem from the Assyrians but here as the Assyrians are flexing their muscles you see the world up to that time in history had never seen such a brutal cruel army that just uh, was terrifying in a way that the Assyrians were. They were very cruel and they would come in and they would torture people and they would take people away captive by putting fish hooks in their mouths and dragging them away. So here are the children of Israel. They know that the Assyrians are coming and, and they begin to make their alliance with Egypt, with Ethiopia. And even Egypt, who was a powerhouse in the time that the children of Israel were slaves to them, they were the power of the world, that they had mighty armies. And even Ethiopia had huge armies. At one time, we know from the Old Testament that they had a million-man army, which was huge for ancient times. And Egypt and Ethiopia would try to come together to come against the Assyrians, but they cowered at the Assyrians. And they would do nothing because they were afraid of them. And here is the children of Israel that we see that the Lord says, Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel but not of me, who devises plans but not of my spirit. And you go down to Egypt and you think you're going to strengthen yourself and get help. Well, as you are trusting in the shadow of Egypt and Pharaoh, that you're going to find that he is not and Egypt's not going to be your strength. But it's going to be your humiliation and your shame. And we covered that last week. And the Lord is calling them to return to him. I took you out of Egypt. Why are you going to Egypt for wisdom and for counsel and for strength? And you think, I, I think a lot of Christians do that even today. Because there's a lot of voices that are out there. And what can happen is, is we uh, face difficulties or challenges or we have decisions that we need to make. And what we will do very subtly is we begin to listen to the voices of Egypt. Egypt is a picture of the world. We begin to, to look to the world for strength. We begin to align ourselves with the world and what culture has to say and what's popular. And I hope and pray for us that we would remember that the Lord desires for us to go to him. And even as Paul was saying to the church of Colossae, you know the verses, but I want to read it to you again because it's so important that Paul is, he would say that in Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. 
And we have seen that Isaiah used similar language. He said that those false prophets and the worldly wisdom, is, they're using smooth words. And we can listen to things. And it sounds practical. It sounds like it would work. It, it sounds like a good idea. There seems to be strength in, in that thing or, or turning to the world's way. But it will lead you to be humiliated and in shame because it's not God's way and it's contrary to what God has to say. And that's what he is saying to them. So he says this, this is what I want you to do. I want you to come back to me. So step number one, because I know that there are some that are here that you got decisions to make, that, that you're facing difficulties, that you're wondering what is it that I do at this this circumstance that I am facing, the first thing you're to do is go to Him. And that's very important, isn't it? Go to Him. In returning in rest, in verse 15 again, as we review this, you shall be saved in quietness and confidence shall be your strength. And, but then Isaiah says, but you would not. You wouldn't even come. And sometimes that I've talked to people who are in difficult circumstances or facing you know, hard decisions, and they haven't even gone to the Lord. They'll come in and say, Pastor Jeff, I need to do this, and this person said this, and this is what the world says I should do, and what culture says that I should do, and this is, looks practical, and I'll say, stop, stop. Have you prayed about it? Uh-uh. I've been so busy. I've been so stressed out. I, I've been so anxious. Well, let's stop, and let's go to Him. Let's pray. Or we get so busy with things, out the door we go, and we're not really seeking Him. We need to go to Him. And the Lord desires for us to go to Him, to ask Him, to look to Him. He's a loving Father that desires to work in our lives and to guide us in every way. So we are to go to Him first of all, and then second of all, we are to wait on Him. And as we go to Him, you see, the Lord desires for us to keep coming, keep asking, to be persistent, to wait on Him. And I want you to know something. I, I've said this many times, that waiting on the Lord sometimes can be very difficult. But will you please understand that waiting on the Lord is not a waste of time. You're not wasting time on waiting on the Lord. Because the Lord desires for us to wait on Him. And He promises, even as we read in verse 18, that therefore the Lord uh, will wait, that He may be gracious to you, and blessed are all those who wait for Him. Oftentimes, that as we get away with Him and we keep saying to Him, Lord, I need to hear from you, and I'm going to wait for you, it reminds me of Habakkuk in the Old Testament prophet that he was struggling. He's struggling about the Chaldeans coming and attacking the, the house of Judah. And in chapter 1, he's wrestling with that. He's saying, Lord, why are you using the Chaldeans to judge Judah and the people? They're evil people. They're idol worshipers. So he's wrestling. And then in chapter 2 of Habakkuk, he's waiting. He says, I will wait in my tower till I hear an answer. And I think that in the instant world that we live in, where we want things to happen right away, it can be difficult for us to wait on the Lord, but it's very necessary because He's working. He's helping us 
to sort things out. He is uh, causing us to endure and to have patience. And even as it was James that writes in his epistle, first of all, we go to him. And, and James writes in chapter 1 as he begins his epistle, in, in chapter 1, uh, in verse 5, that if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven, tossed by the wind. Oh, when we don't go to the Lord, we can get tossed to and fro. But if we lack wisdom, the Lord desires for us to go to him and to ask, and to ask in faith that he's going to guide us and give us that wisdom that we need. And then second of all, knowing that waiting on him that the Lord desires to do a work in that as well, even as James would write that, that count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect. That means mature and complete, lacking nothing. You see, there are times where as we're waiting on the Lord, the Lord is speaking to us. He's growing us. We're learning to trust in him. We're learning patience, endurance. And then it causes us to mature and grow. So waiting is not a waste of time. It's a time where the Lord is working in our hearts and working in the situation. And sometimes the Lord does answer away, right away. Sometimes he works right away. But oftentimes he desires for us to really wait on him, that he may be gracious and blessed are those who wait for him. And then thirdly, we are to hear from him. He promises that in verse 21, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. So you go to him, you wait on him and you're going to hear from him thirdly and he promises to be a voice behind you saying this is the way walk in it so for all of us because all of us we have decisions to make we have trials that we face we have to 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 decide things in life that we would go to him and look to his word. That's how he primarily speaks to us. But in those decisions, should I go there? Should I go uh, here? Should I buy this house? Should I take this job? Should I have this relationship? Whatever it is, the Lord desires to speak to you in that still small voice to give you a piece that rules in your heart, Colossians chapter 3. And that word rule means to make the call. And I know that when it comes to my family, when it comes to decisions that I have to make, or when it comes to uh, the ministry here, that as I go to him, I'll wait on him. And I know that the Lord desires to speak to me in that still, small voice. And oftentimes it's that peace that rules in my heart, just giving me a peace. And listen, for me, if I don't have the peace of God that rules in my heart, I don't move forward. And I keep waiting for on him and waiting for him and the lord desires to do that work in us he, he he doesn't want us to be confused but he wants to guide us in every way in every area of our lives and even as it was elijah that you remember he called down fire from heaven there on mount carmel in first kings chapter 19 and then as you move into chapter 20 that he runs from jezebel who threatened him and there he is at the mountain of god he's all discouraged and he's saying lord uh, i'm the only one that's left that hasn't bowed the knee to baal and there was the wind and there was the fire and there was 
you know, the, the earth that shook, and, and the Lord wasn't in the fire or the wind or the earthquake, but he heard the still small voice of the Lord. And in our journey in life, listen, he desires for us to listen to him. Sometimes it's a verse that will just prompt you so many times that the Lord will use a verse to speak to me or speak to Sue, and we're thinking, yes, Lord, that's good. And we just have that peace that begins to rule in our hearts. He's prompting us, and it's wonderful. That's what being a Christian is all about, to be guided by him, to know that he wants to guide us and be that voice that we Hear from him. Go to the right. Go to the left. Wherever you go, just following the leading of the Lord. So very important. I hope that's an encouragement to us. And as we continue, we stopped at verse 21, that we read that the Lord continues saying, you will also defile a covering of your images of silver and the ornament of your molded images of gold. You will throw them away as an unclean thing. You will say to them, get away. So God wanted them to get rid of their idols and return to him. And for us, there are a lot of things that can really be a distraction to us, idols, if you would. And an idol, what is an idol? It's not necessarily just an image made of metal or wood that's in our home that, that we're bowing down to, but an idol is anything that you're turning to in your hour of need, that you're turning to the trust in, that you're looking for to be your answer and your strength above the Lord. And as we can have those idols and a lot of things that can be an idol, that we are to push those things aside and say, Lord, that my trust and strength is in you. And I'm going to put those things away. And Lord, that you are the one that desires for me to come to you. And what a wonderful day when we say in our hearts, uh, the idols are going to go away. And there is blessing when we do that. And then in verse 23, then he will give the rain for your seed, which, with which you sow the ground and the bread of the increase of the earth. And it will be fat and plentiful. In that day, your cattle will feed in large pastures. Likewise, the oxen and the young donkeys that work uh, the ground will eat cured fodder, which uh, has been widowed with the shovel and fan, the widowing fan. And there will be on every high mountain, on every high hill, rivers and streams of waters in the day of the great slaughter when the towers fall. Moreover, the light of the moon will be as the light of the sun. The light of the sun will be sevenfold in the light of seven days in the day that the Lord binds up bruise, uh, the bruise of his people and heals the stroke of their wound. So here, we keep in mind that Isaiah, that he can change subjects pretty quickly. Um, one verse he's talking about a near fulfillment. The next verse, he's talking about a future fulfillment. And as we go through this chapter, we see that there's going to be a pronouncement against the Assyrians, that God is going to judge the Assyrians as that is a near fulfillment. But then there's a future fulfillment that speaks about the millennium reign, how we know that in that day, the day of the Lord, that there's going to be judgment on the nations, followed by the reign of Christ. And here, speaking of the millennium kingdom, there's going to be blessing in the land. 
Uh, there's going to be the land that's going to be restored. And, and we're going to see that Isaiah is going to continue to talk a lot about that here as he speaks about how there's going to be on every high hill rivers and streams of water. And, and the light of the moon is going to be bright and the sun uh, is going to be sevenfold. So these things, believing that probably he's speaking about the millennium kingdom here, and we know that Isaiah will talk about how the land's going to be restored. Matter of fact, as we continue through Isaiah and, and it, it, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, it will tell us how in the millennium reign that the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea, there's nothing living in it. It's the lowest point on the face of the earth. And the Jordan River flows into the Dead Sea and it doesn't flow out because there's nowhere to go. It's the lowest point on the face of the earth. But it's full of minerals. It's dead. But in the millennium reign, when the restoring of the land happens, that the desert's going to bloom out there, that they're going to be actually fishing in the Dead Sea, that it's going to be teeming with fish and fishermen there. So there's going to be this restoring that will take place of the land. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to be the ultimate environmentalist. And, and things are going to be right and refreshing of water. But also, verse 26, what we read here, that more than restoring the land, there is the loving care of our Lord. You know, it's true for us today. I am so thankful that the Lord restores us, forgives us. He refreshes us with the water of the word as we're washed with the blood of Jesus Christ, that restoring work. But it doesn't just stop there. He really cares for you. And we can live in his loving care every single day and cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. And for me, that brings me great comfort to know that, Lord, you've forgiven me. You've made me a new creation. Lord, I'm, I'm forgiven, washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I can wash myself with the water of the word and be refreshed and renewed. But, Lord, also that you care for me, your loving hands. And how you want to work that in my life. And in verse 27, behold, the name of the Lord comes from afar, burning with his anger, and his burden is heavy. His lips are full of indignation, and his tongue like a devouring fire. His breath is like an overflowing stream which reaches up to the neck to shift the nations with the sieve of futility. And there shall be a bridle in the jaw of the people, causing them to err. And you shall have a song as in the night when a holy festival is kept. And gladness at heart is when one goes with the flute to come into the mountain of the Lord to the mighty one of Israel. So here some believe it's speaking of the judgment against the Assyrians. But also it may be speaking of when in the tribulation period when God pours out his wrath on a Christ-rejected world. And he will save his people and they will have a song and a gladness in their hearts. Certainly that was true as we're going to see in just a few chapters how the Lord delivered Jerusalem from the mighty Assyrians. But it's also going to be true as the Lord's going to deliver Jerusalem again at the end of the tribulation period. But I like what it says here, that there's a song and, and, and gladness in their hearts. And you and I, every day, we can live with a song in our hearts and gladness in our hearts. As we see the mess that the world is in, as we see the things around us, we know that that is speaking of the soon return of Jesus Christ. We see that the world is getting darker, it's getting more evil. 
we, we see that the upheaval in the Middle East, and we, I've done updates on what's happening in Syria, and, and, and we see the storm clouds gathering for Ezekiel 38 to happen. Ezekiel tells us what the outcome is going to be, but we don't know exactly when it's going to be, what's going to be the trigger that's going to lead uh, Russia and Iran and Turkey to come to the mountains of Israel in this large invasion. But we see the tensions are very high. The stage is set. When will it happen? We don't know. Will the rapture happen before Ezekiel 38? We don't know the exact scenario, but we do know that these things are going to come to pass, and that brings a song in my heart because Jesus said, when you begin to see these things come to pass, look up and rejoice, for your redemption draws near. We are the generation that is closer, obviously, to the return of the Lord than any other generation. But to see these things starting to come to pass, no other generation has seen that. And it's absolutely incredible. But yet, unfortunately, a lot of Christians are asleep. They're not learning these things. They're not talked about in their churches. And I think it's unfortunate and I'm not being critical. It's just an honest evaluation. And you and I have opportunity to be able to minister those things. This is what's coming down. This is what the Bible says. We're getting closer to the return of the Lord. And this is why. And we should be watching and waiting for the return of the Lord. So it's also exciting times for us as Christians to be able to give a message that the Lord is coming back. And that should bring a song and a gladness in our heart because, listen, this world is not where it's at. And this world is temporary. We're going to see in Hebrews on Sunday as we finish chapter 10 that the writer of Hebrews, which is going to give us some hints, is going to talk to them about their tribulation and suffering that they're going through, the persecution that they're experiencing. And he says that you ministered to me in my chains. And... and the losing of your possessions, that you guys have a greater inheritance and you have that assurance that you're established in. And that is a godly inheritance and possession and rewards that are coming. This is the worst that it gets for, for us. And we know what our future is. That the Lord is going to call us home, whether our bodies wear out, or whether the rapture comes and we're going to go home to be with the Lord and then we're going to come and rule and reign with him and then we're going to live in, in the new heaven and new earth for all eternity. Isn't that wonderful? That's our future. And we have a heavenly inheritance and rewards that are coming to us for those of us who've walked with him and just being obedient to him and living for the Lord. You have a mina. Remember the parable of the mina? As the people were getting ready to follow Jesus up to Jerusalem and they expected the kingdom of God to be ushered in right away. So Jesus stopped and said, listen, there's a nobleman that gave his servants each a mina. And the nobleman went away to receive a country and he came back for those servants to give an account. And those who invested that mina, that he would say to them, well done, good and faithful servant. And you see, what we do for Christ, that's what's going to last. Everything else is going to go away and burn up and is temporary. What we do for him is eternal. So keep that eternal perspective. And know that even in the tribulations that we go through, because some of you do go through it because you're a Christian. Maybe it's caused, you know, strain and, 
in relationship with family, maybe at work, maybe you experience loss of relationships or, or family members, even a spouse. You lost that promotion or that job because you're a Christian. But remember this, that he sees what you're going through and there's an eternal inheritance for you and great rewards for your faithfulness to the Lord. For me to keep an eternal perspective is very important for me to have a song and a gladness of heart because if I keep priority or if I keep my eyes on the world, I get all bummed out. So keep your eyes on the Lord and he's going to continue to just have us be in his loving arms and care. Having a song and a gladness in our hearts. And then in verse 30, the Lord will cause his glorious voice to be heard and show the descent of his arm. And with the indignation of his anger and the flame of a devouring fire, with a scattering tempest and hailstones. This is something that sounds like the tribulation period. And through the voice of the Lord, Assyria will be beaten down, and he will strike with the rod. And in every place where the staff of punishment passes, we know that the Assyrians, again, are going to be defeated by an angel, not with hailstones. So again, here's Isaiah kind of changing subjects. In which the Lord lays on him, it will be with tambourines and harps. And in battles of brandishing, he will fight with it. For Tophet was established of old. Yes, for the king it is prepared. He has made it deep and large. Its pyre is fire and much wood. And breath of the Lord, like the stream of brimstone, kindles it. So Tophet uh, was the place of the valley Heman, or Gehenna, where they burnt the trash. And there's fires and the garbage heap. And that's where they would sacrifice uh, the children on the arms of Moloch in that valley. So uh, there's going to be judgment. And here we were told that the glory of the Lord is going to be shown. You know, even in judgment, the glory of the Lord is going to be shown. Because what one of the phrase, phrases that we read repeatedly when we get to Ezekiel, when he talks about judgment, when he talks about Ezekiel 38 and 39, that after that battle, that the nations may know that I am the Lord. As the Lord talks about judgment against the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, that they may know that I am the Lord. You remember that when the children of Israel in the book of Exodus, when they were in slavery to Egypt and Moses went to Pharaoh, and it was the Lord that told uh, Moses that, that I am going to bring these plagues down upon Egypt that Pharaoh may know and the other nations that I am the Lord. But Pharaoh hardened his heart. You know what's interesting about that is that 40 years after the Lord, of course, as the children of Israel were backed up against the Red Sea, and two mountain ranges on both sides. And here are the Egyptian chariots about ready to run them over. You see, this chapter started out with, why are you going to Egypt? Why are you trusting in Egypt? I brought you out of Egypt. And in Deuteronomy chapter 17, the Lord said, don't go back to Egypt. And here they are trying to go back to Egypt. And they had seen his mighty hand. They knew the story of the Red Sea. That their fathers, you know, as they were backed up, that it was Moses that said, you know, lift up your eyes and see the salvation of the Lord. They kept their focus on Egypt and those chariots. And here's Moses saying, you got to lift your eyes a little higher. You got to see the salvation of the Lord. 
And the Egyptians you will see no longer. And you know the story how the Red Sea parted and they crossed on dry land. And then the Egyptians followed in their chariots and the waters receded and drowned them. Forty years later, here they come to Jericho into the promised land. And here's uh, Rahab saying uh, that the, the harlot there of Jericho saying, we know that the Lord, or I know that the Lord has given you this land because we heard how he drowned the Egyptians. They had heard of the power of God. It brought judgment upon the Egyptians, but the glory of the Lord was shown, the power of the Lord, and they knew the Lord was true, but yet they hardened their hearts except for Rahab. She was saved. Fast forward 400 years for Samuel chapter 4. The children of Israel going to battle against the Philistines. They bring out the Ark of the Covenant. The children of Israel at that time, it's the end of the days of the judges. They're not right with the Lord. And so somebody gets this bright idea. Why don't we go get the Ark of the Covenant? We will go get it and it will save us. They reduce God to an it. So they bring out the Ark of the Covenant as you read that chapter. There's a great shout in the camp of the children of Israel across the valley. And I've been there, there in Shiloh where it was. And across the valley, you can kind of picture it. Here's the Philistines saying, oh, no, they brought God into the camp. And he's the one that that drowned the Egyptians 400 years previously. They had a better understanding of the power of God than the children of Israel at that time. But yet they hardened their hearts and they would not believe. And what my prayer for us is that as we go through those difficult times and all of us will, that we don't go back to Egypt and trust in Egypt. That we would look to him and not harden our hearts towards his word. And the Lord, I believe, has allowed me to be in difficult situations or my back to the Red Sea, if you would. Because the, the tendency that I have, I'll speak for myself, if I can figure it out, if I can come up with a plan, if I can make things happen to make it better right away, then I'll go that direction rather than waiting on the Lord, rather than going to the Lord. And desiring to listen to him. And I believe that the Lord has told me, Jeff, I'm going to allow you to get backed up here, boxed in, because now you're going to see me work. And you're going to see my glory, my power in this situation. And that's something that the Lord desires for us to learn. Remember, it was, I believe, last week I said, you're either going to learn in the sanctuary or learn in the storm. And may we learn in life that he desires to be everything for us. And again, it isn't that he's added to our life. He is our life. Amen? He isn't just wisdom, you know, that comes from God. He, he is wisdom. In him is hidden all the wisdoms and, and treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is wisdom. And he desires for us to know his ways and to know that he loves us and that he desires to work on our behalf and that we, as we trust him with our salvation, we can trust him with our lives. So are you backed up, boxed in, kind of wrestling with the Lord like Jacob? 
Jacob, his name means heel snatcher. He was the deceiver, conniver. He was this man very resourceful. If he could come up with a plan, he would. He was deceitful and receiving the blessing and, you know, the, the you know, double portion. And, and he was always conniving and planning and plotting and all of this stuff. And finally, he finds himself at the brook Jabbok. He can't go forward because here comes his brother Esau that the last time he knew of his brother, his brother wanted to kill him. He's coming at him with 400 men. He can't go behind them because his uncle Laban said, you come back, I'm going to kill you. So he's at the brook. He doesn't know what to do. And the Lord comes up and begins to wrestle with him. And all of a sudden, there's Jacob wrestling with the Lord all night long is what Genesis 32 tells us. And finally, Jacob, he says that I won't let you go till you bless me. The Old Testament prophet Hosea says that it was Jacob that wrestled with the Lord with tears. It was Jacob that was saying, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. I'm tired of trying to figure out things in my own energy, in my own wisdom, in my own way. So the Lord touched his hip and it came out socket. That would be very painful. Matter of fact, it tells us that from that time on, Jacob had to walk with a, with a walking stick, uh, kind of a, a cane, if you would. He had to lean on that walking stick, that cane, because of that injury. And you see, the Lord was teaching him something as he said, your name is no longer going to be called Jacob, but it's going to be called Israel, which means governed by God. It's the place where the Lord wants to bring every single one of us. And he does it as he breaks us through the brokenness of our lives. So we quit trying to connive and scheme and plan and plot and figure it all out to trust in me, to learn to lean on him just as Jacob had to lean on that cane. And his walk was never the same. Are you at the brook tonight? You're back to the Red Sea. Lift up your eyes and see the salvation of the Lord. And you go to him. And you wait on him. And you're going to hear from him. Oh, you may do some wrestling. <laughs> but that's okay because I know the Lord's going to win. Let him do the breaking in you that he wants to do. And let him change your name from whatever it is to Israel, which means governed by God. And you will see that your walk will never be the same. As you just look to him and look to his guidance and wisdom and strength and everything. Don't go back to Egypt. Don't go back to Pandanaran. <laughs> you keep moving forward in the things of the Lord. Well, Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can finish this chapter and be blessed in it, Lord. Such important lessons for all of us for every day of our lives to continue to trust in you. And we know that we can trust you with our lives because we trust you with our salvation and that you do care and love for us. You proved it by sending your son, your son who went to the cross, and now we come to the communion table. And we remember what Jesus did for us in allowing his body to be broken. 
and his blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. And so, Lord, thank you as we hold these communion elements that it would be a time of worship, a time of saying thank you for your provision, Lord, and you're going to continue as you provided salvation and forgiveness to continue to care for us. So, Lord, may we have a song in our hearts and gladness as we come to the communion table tonight. Thanking you in every way. In Jesus' name. The usher is going to hand out the communion elements. I ask that you hang on to them and we'll partake of them together. <laughs>